It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be, APR, zero deposit, and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Straight to business today because we have one hell of a story to kick off the show this afternoon. Tara Mohan was 21 back in 2014 when she went for a routine medical as part of a job application with the EU in Luxembourg. Her white blood cell count was very high which set alarm bells ringing. Tara is with us today to take up our story in a moment and we're also joined by Nolene Sheridan who's a cancer nurse specialist at the Matter Hospital. You're both very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Tara, take it up from there. You were going for this job. In fact, I have to clarify, they headhunted you, yes? Yeah, they saw my name on a list of trainees that were working in the commission at the time. I was an Irish translator, so they sent me an email and said, would you like to apply for this job? So I said, yeah, sure. So you apply, and it's a matter, of course, a medical is part and parcel of it. I said, when you went for the test there, did you know immediately, or did they call you back to say, hold on a minute, we've spotted something with your white cells here? So the following day they sent me the report of the blood test and they said your white blood cells are elevated but it could be any sort of infection it could be a chest infection I didn't know I had so just to go to my GP and chat with her and see You weren't concerned? <laughs> no I wasn't Not at all. to be honest. You're a 21 year old in Europe living <laughs> life to the full is that living fair to dream. say? Living the dream is yeah. right. And you had no symptoms or feeling of illness no? In hindsight, um, I woke up a few days with a rash on my legs that would just fade after maybe an hour. Um, I had lost weight and I wasn't dieting. um, So, like, I wasn't actually doing anything and my diet wasn't good by any means. I was going out drinking all the time. Um, So that like in hindsight, at the time, I didn't really think I went to have it. But now looking back, yeah, I did actually lose you see a lot that of weight. Wise in hindsight, <laughs> that when you focus in on some pointers yeah. as well, you see it. Anyway, the upshot was from the blood test, you went for further tests and you got a diagnosis of? Well, it was, they did a chest x-ray as well. Mm. So then the day after I got the blood test results, they sent me the chest x-ray report and they said, look, something's after showing up. We can't see your heart. You need to go to your GP and get a CT scan to see what this is. So I went and found a GP in Brussels and she referred me for a CT scan and they said, yeah, it looks like you have some form of cancer, maybe thymoma or lymphoma. So then my dad flew straight over from Ireland and he met the oncology consultant with me and went for a PET scan and they said I needed to go for 
uh, biopsy. So I actually, that was at the start of July by the time all this was done and I just stayed in Brussels because I only had a few weeks left. Because I, I was, you know what I mean? It was a once in a lifetime opportunity. So um, <laughs> I stayed for the rest of the month and then I came home in August and got it sorted at home, had biopsies. and I have here in my notes to say to you, <laughs> how did you function? I mean, I had really great friends like because we were all in the same boat. So we were all trainees. We were all away from our families. We were all just out of college. And yeah, it was like a little family over there kind of. So I like when I had two really great friends who were there like through all my appointments and everything. So I just kind of stayed. I was having a great time. I guess part of me probably was I definitely was in denial and I didn't want to have to deal with all of the stuff. I didn't really know what I was going to have to deal with and I didn't want to have to think about that. Anyway, you do get a diagnosis, ultimately. You have a tumour. And the type of cancer is? It was Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. So you finish up over there and you come home. What happens from there? So I came home in August. I met my GP. I went for my first biopsy in August. They diagnosed me with thymoma. But they weren't happy enough with that diagnosis because I think they said it was the tumour was too slow growing and too big and I was too young for it to have grown that much. So then they wanted to do another biopsy. So they did that in September. And then they diagnosed me with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And me and my dad were actually quite relieved. And my mum, because we heard that this was really treatable. Um, So I started chemo then in October. Was chemo tough? Actually, I think I tolerated it quite well. Um, It was every two weeks. And the first kind of three days I suppose I'd be tired enough but by the second week I was fine um, I was on steroids for the sickness I was on all of the sickness ta- anti-sickness tablets that you can probably imagine so I didn't really suffer with nausea or vomiting or anything like that um, as time went on the main effect on me was my appearance because with the steroids I gained a lot of weight and I gradually lost my hair it wasn't like with some chemos your hair can just fall out within like three or four weeks um, mine kind of gradually thinned over four months and I got four months before I had to, well, I didn't have to, but before I chose to wear a wig. Mm. Um, so that was kind of the hardest part for me with chemo. Um, Sickness-wise and all that, I tolerated it pretty well. So the other challenges, those main challenges that many people experience as well were so difficult for you. Mm-hmm. You go through this and the tumour shrinks. Yeah. So it's looking really positive that this treatment is going to get you out of the woods and you're on your way again back to partying in Brussels at 21 years of age or a little <laughs> older no but seriously you did expect that this was working and it, that was the, the view actually ironically the first scan um, was the biggest hit for me because even though it was shrinking I expected that it would just be gone and I would be happy enough to just go off and mm. that would be me done so it was a bit of a hit for me to get that scan and have it not be clear like it had shrunk from I think it was 10 centimetres down to 4 and the activity level dropped significantly um, so then they said okay we're going to actually go to 8 months chemo instead of 6 so I got to 6 months and then they scanned me again and they said no this isn't working anymore we need to change up your treatment I'm sure that was a blow when that time came yeah I it's kind of um, vague in my memory Um I remember when they told me, so my, the, the next step was a stem cell transplant. So I remember they told me that and it was just frightening because I had it explained to me like chemo was like going into your body with a machine gun, destroying it all. But um, a stem cell transplant is like a nuclear bomb, just completely destroys everything and then you have to build it back up from that. So this is what I was told before any of this happened. So to think that that was terrifying and it's not actually like the 
chemo or the um, stem cell transplant that would kill you, it would be the infections that you can get when your immune system is so low. Um, so that was just scary. You say that when you got that massive dose of chemo before you were to have the stem cell transplant, there was an intense chemotherapy yeah. session to be had there over a number of days. Yeah. I felt like I was dying. That was um, on the second dose when I had a perm cut, the line they um, put on your chest to harvest stem cells because I was able to have a stem cell transplant using my own stem cells. But the line got infected, the stem cells got infected and the chemo wasn't working anyway, so I couldn't use them. But when I had that infection, I was in hospital for a good few weeks and I couldn't move with the pain. I could barely breathe. I could barely stand up Um And I remember turning to one of the nurses who knew me well and I said, am I ever going to get better? And she said, of course you are. And she kind of was like, obviously you're going to get better. But for me, I really was like, oh no, I think I'm going to die because this is just agonising. It was just the worst, the lowest part, I think, for me. Well, you're here talking to me today, so everyone knows what the outcome of this was. (laughs) It all ends well. (laughs) It really does end well, because at that stage then you can't have the stem cell uh, the transplant that, using my own stem cells yes I that couldn't. can't happen yeah so then this thing called immunotherapy comes into the picture did you know anything about this no I had never heard of it um, my uh, clinical nurse specialist came in and explained it to me um, and sounded great <laughs> because um, it doesn't affect your immune system as much as chemo does you don't lose your hair um, I it you can get fatigued there are some side effects. I didn't really have many of them from the immunotherapy. The only one I remember is kind of being tired. But mm. that could have been from the amount of chemo that I had before that. So so this was the medical professional suggesting to you, let's leave the chemo aside now. Let's leave mm. aside the stem cell transplant and let's go this road. Yeah. Did they give you assurances? No, they're never going to tell you 100% that something is going to work because you never know, like everyone's different. Um, but... I knew that it was a new drug and that it had been good for other patients in my situation. So I was happy at this point to kind of take anything they were going to give me, to be honest. I really trusted all my doctors and nurses. And I was very inquisitive. Um, I asked a lot of questions. Like I wouldn't let anybody give me a tablet or do something to me without knowing why they were doing what they were doing. So that stood to me in the end as well. because. So July 2015, the immunotherapy began yeah. and on it goes through 2015 into 16 and you then have surgery is it after a time on the immunotherapy to remove this tumour I had two different immunotherapies so the okay. first one um, I had a false remission um, so that was in December 2015 mm. I had three weeks of radiotherapy to consolidate they thought I was in remission and then I moved to Luxembourg to do the job that I had applied for in February 2016, I moved home in May because I had had a scan that showed I still had cancer. So then in June, I started the newer immunotherapy mm. and I was on that up until um, May 2017. But in September 2016, they kind of said, look, we don't even know if this is cancer anymore. We don't know if it's an infection. We don't know if it's like residual something that's just showing up that's not actually cancer. So... I was discussed at a lot of meetings in Europe and in the Mayo Clinic and also they decided that everybody came back to my haematologist and said, no, you need to do another biopsy. So then I met my surgeon and she said, well, why don't we take 
everything out and I said well yeah please do if you can please do because that was never an option for me before um, it's not really an option for Hodgkin's lymphoma to have surgery but it became one for me so I had the surgery in December 2016 and they took everything out and they biopsied it and it was all clear of cancer they scanned me it was all clear of cancer and I had three clear scans and my haematologist said to me, look, that's the best we're going to get with you because I had been so complicated. She said, we're happy enough to, you know, just do regular checkups with you. And actually I had a scan a month ago and it was still clear. Isn't so. that just <laughs> great news, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Really, like, smiles all around, happiness, joy yeah. for you, your family, all your friends, everybody. Yeah. Did they skim your heart? Just come back to that procedure you had. Yeah. What, what, what was this I read about? They did some li- little procedure on your heart? Yeah. They just, um, because the tumour was so close to my heart, they took a layer of my pericardium, which is the layer outside your heart, um, just because they didn't want to leave any chance of a recurrence there. So they just took everything out. So... I've had a couple of incidences with um, fluid in my heart and things like that, but that's been looked after. So, okay. I mean, I take that over the cancer. <laughs> that's small fry for you, yeah. young woman, when it comes to the story you're after telling us. Listen, I want to take a short break because Nolene Sheridan is with us and she's been sitting patiently listening to Tara tell her unbelievable story to us and uh, Nolene is a cancer nurse specialist at The Matter she's worked in oncology for 30 years and we're going to hear from her next Late Lunch LMFM Radio you've just heard Tara Mohan's remarkable story with her today is the nurse who spearheaded the immunotherapy programme at The Matter and I'm delighted to welcome her to the show Nolene Sheridan good to see you thank you for joining us thank you that is a remarkable story. It is story. a remarkable story and I remember Tara very well during her story and getting her chemotherapy in the day ward and she was always fantastic with a great a- attitude to the whole process but it is very difficult and it was very difficult at times. Now 30 years you were involved in oncology and my word there have been some changes no need to tell you over that period of time but can you tell listeners in a nutshell what is immunotherapy? Okay. So immunotherapy is a relatively new treatment. It's quite innovative. It works by increasing your body's natural defences. So how it works is that it activates your own immune system, gets your own immune system to fight and detect cancer cells and therefore killing them. Or it can halt the process of your cancer cells dividing, so therefore stopping your cancer spreading further. So in other words, this is, I'm sure if you think back a few years and think about this, you think this, oh, this is science fiction, really. But it's reality today, stimulating the immune system within the body to attack this. Yes, it's very different from um, chemotherapy, where chemotherapy can't differentiate between a cancer cell and a normal fast dividing cell. And that's why you get much more side effects of chemotherapy and different side effects of immunotherapy. And that's where our education program came from, because the side effects or the potential side effects of immunotherapy are so different to chemotherapy. And especially this program for patients who'd previously received chemotherapy. Most of our patients are at home, hopefully very well, living a very good quality of life with relatively few side effects but if they do get side effects they can be very serious and that's how we started our education program so that patients would know what to do to seek medical advice as soon as possible and come into us. So really it's like being at home taking a drug for a complaint. Exactly. Sim- now, I know that's a very in a way, simplified in a way. but in a way. Yes. 
So it's really important that um, we ha- we give our patients the appropriate, accurate information so they know when to contact us. Although they're in very often, depending on, there are several different types of immunotherapy. They're given a little bit differently. They're all given intravenously and you come to the hospital quite regularly. Um, but you're still at home. You're a day patient. It's never given as an inpatient visit. Now, I'm sure there are people listening today who are travelling this journey and have travelled it. And there are many of us who will travel this in the future, unfortunately. Is this for everybody? And is it something that, you know, you talk about chemotherapy was usually the first port of call. Attack it, as you say, and it kills everything within the body. Is immunotherapy now an option at the start of certain individuals who it suits and their cancers right from the beginning? So chemotherapy is still... uh almost always the first line of treatment. Immunotherapy can be given in what we call first line as first treatment, but only in select cancers and select patients. Um, And it depends on tissue diagnosis and and your consultation with your oncologist or your haematologist. So for me, I primarily work with lung cancer patients, breast cancer patients and some sarcomas. And mainly the only patients in that group at the moment getting first line immunotherapy would uh, be a small cohort of lung cancer patients. Okay, so it is pretty selective and a small number at the moment. I'm sure in the future this is in in development. It's given for several different cancers. Sometimes it's given when the chemotherapy doesn't work um, and then immunotherapy may become an option for patients. And that's the way it is. But because it has a very good quality of life, patients like immunotherapy or many of them do. And what stimulates uh, the body within to take up this fight against the cancer? Is it a drug? It's a drug. It comes in in, um, in a drip. It's given in our day wards either every two weeks, every three weeks, monthly or six weekly, depending on your cancer diagnosis and your tissue type. Um, and it just it, the drug works by stimulating. So cancer cells are very clever. We all know that they're able to disguise themselves from your immune system from, to detect that they're cancer cells. The immunotherapy in effect, and it's a very simple way, but the way we tell patients, it's like our cancer cells are wearing coats or cloaks and the immunotherapy takes off that coat or cloak and your body is able to say hey there's a cancer cell I need to kill that and it targets it. You've led this as a professional nurse you know in in the matter where do the consultants fit into this (laughs) picture? I've led the immunotherapy education programme let's be clear about that with my colleagues I'm just one member of a six um, oncology and haematology clinical nurse specialist this and our medical colleagues are fully supportive of this so our one of our main functions as nurse specialist is to provide information and education to patients and family so we obviously have a structured education chemotherapy program in the matter hospital at the moment and we've been running that for several years with the Irish Cancer Society but we felt then that immunotherapy it was new we found it very difficult ourselves because it's a a total different way of thinking so if we were struggling at the beginning it it, our patients had to be struggling so a patient actually once said to me after a clinic oh when's the education program and for immunotherapy and I had to say that we didn't have one and it sowed a seed for me to think well you know what we maybe we need to run a structured program so we have produced a series of um, video series. We have an information booklet and we've involved our patients in it because what we really wanted is to learn from our patients' experience. So we asked our patients, if they like Tara, if you were over again, what would you like to know about immunotherapy? What uh, things were important to know about immunotherapy? Because we as nurses think some things are important, but to patients it mm. can be different information. So Tara, you weren't a beneficiary of this, or were you? 
of the education programme. No. No, because it was only done this year. All right. But you have an input now from your experience and and, and the journey you've come into this programme. Yeah. What does that feel like to be able to contribute uh, from your experience? I feel like I didn't have too much of a difficult experience with immunotherapy. So, I mean, I my experience was positive with immunotherapy because, yes. I mean, firstly, it didn't have many side effects and it cured me ultimately. So, I'm... I can't really complain about it. Yes, I can't say yes. too much about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. But but obviously, Nolene, uh, Tara's experience is very important. So Tara's experience is vitally important for us. So we have three patients in our information series. We have Tara and we have two other patients. So we selected patients who had different stories to sell, tell, who had different cancers. And that's really important. So we were promoting the positive side, of, side positivity, I suppose, of immunotherapy and also that it does have some side effects. And um, that's... That's why it was important to get patients involved. And important to say it doesn't work for everybody no. and it's not an option for everybody. It doesn't work for everyone. And I think in the current media, immunotherapy is seen as a wonder drug. It is a fantastic drug. I don't want to underestimate that. It, it isn't for everyone and it doesn't, unfortunately, always work. But when it does work, it works well. Mm-hmm. I have to tap into your 30 years before we finish up here because you are 30 years working. Almost. I don't Almost. know why that slipped out when I told you I'm very limited. But thanks for telling me. It's yeah. great to know in all the experience you have. Look at how the world of cancer and cancer treatment has changed. You can verify that, that today Absolutely. is light years from 30 years ago. Light years, 30 years ago as a student nurse um, working with patients with cancer, all I remember, and this is true, that they were all sick, that most of them were bald, they were absolutely miserable, they were in hospital a long time now at least 95% of our patients come to day awards things like immunotherapy we couldn't have even imagined um, and and even the advances of all the different drugs the combination of the drugs and how people are living longer and doing well nowadays and even people who would have had no treatment options now have a lot of different options available to them that is really positive and to hear that from you today has to be most encouraging because this is a fight that goes on into the future and we're told we're going to see more cases. Yes and we are like more cancer cases and more patients on treatment and now we're using combinations of chemotherapy alone chemotherapy and immunotherapy together or immunotherapy or immunotherapy on its own so there are different combinations there are different treatments available and there will be more um, research done and I'm sure more treatments that I can't even imagine in the future. Back to you, Tara. Well, how is life for a young lady today who's come through this unbelievable health challenge and sits here before us looking so well today? What are you up to now with your life? Well, I'm back working part-time. Um, I really enjoy my job. I actually did a makeup course at the start of this year. And um, it's something that, like, when I was sick, I had a lot of spare time, so I learned how to drive. I spent a lot of time um, playing with makeup and just filling my time. So um, that's what I did this year. And I started going back to the gym. Well, I never went to the gym before, but I started getting more active. And, um, yeah, I've lost five stone that I gained from the steroids. I so, today. Yeah. <laughs> I see her in the paper. She looks amazing. Mm. Um, just when you were saying about the chemo, it reminded me that when it, the first day before I started chemo, I asked my doctor, was I going to be really sick? And he said, if you're getting sick, we're doing something wrong because of the... Yes. Like, yeah. How do you feel about life and yourself? Like you, you, you had a promising career in the EU and Europe mm. ahead of you. You're back home now. You've had to adjust your life in a way. How does that sit with you? 
I do feel like the cancer kind of destroyed my uh, drive for my career because I was going and I was going well and I had just so uh, Irish um, you need to keep practicing or you kind of lose it like any language and I I still speak Irish, but I've lost my confidence with it. So I just did an Irish course there over the past couple of weeks in Guelcultura and really enjoyed it, actually. Um, so I still do a little bit of proofreading on the side um, to keep my Irish going. Yes. And I have a couple of friends who are Irish speakers, so I spend time with them as well. So, okay. yeah. So you're ready to take off again. This has been sort of a holding platform for you now at this <laughs> stage. Yeah. And the world is your oyster. Yeah. <laughs> It's Hopefully. <laughs> ah, absolutely. Why isn't it? Why isn't it? Look, thank you for uh, joining us on Late Lunch this afternoon to tell your remarkable story. I wish you well. And by the way, you must she mustn't have been fiddling with the makeup Nolene before she came down here today because we were taking the picture. She said to me, oh, look at the state of me. It's been on since seven o'clock because I was in the hospital today. <laughs> you did a great job. Thanks. You did a great job. At last till seven tonight. You're good at this. You're good at this, <laughs> let me say. Anyway, it's been a real pleasure to have you join us on Late, late Lunch today to tell your story thank you I wish you all the best for the future Tara thanks for With having us. life and career as well and Nolene Sheridan keep up the great work in the matter thank you have you. a wonderful team there and you're yes. great people helping so many thank you very much thank you both very much indeed thanks. yes Tara Mohan and Nolene Sheridan what a story Tara has talking to us top of the show and Nolene just asked me to remind you if you want to find out more about the immunotherapy you can log on to matter.ie forward slash services forward slash cancer hyphen medicine so if you want to matter.ie you'll find out all the information there there's an information video coming shortly the booklet is there and they want to say a big thank you to Roche Pharmaceuticals who without their support they couldn't have done all of this and publicised it as well and well done to them on that one. Now the first ever Loch Lunasa Festival in the village of Ballinlock near Kells is taking place over the August Bank holiday weekend and features lots of entertainment Finbar Fury is there, Louise Morrissey Cathy Durkin Dominic Kerr and the whole of the country music fraternity must be in Ballinlock on the August Bank holiday so if you want something different to do looking ahead to that big weekend check it out locklunacy.com or ticketmaster.ie for more information on the festival now competition time on late lunch and all this week Halpenny Golf at the M1 Retail Park in Drogheda have given us some very nice prizes to give away today I have a dozen tailor-made TP5 golf balls there. I'll tell you one thing you'll be on the fairway and in the hole with these golf balls that's for sure and uh, there were a few Bob as well so it doesn't tailor maids to give away thanks to Halpenny Golf and don't forget give Bobby or David a shout at the store on the M1 Retail Park they have everything shoes GPS clothing accessories bags clubs you name it whatever you want for the golfer in your life or if, you're, if you are a golfer check them out Halpenny Golf at the M1 Retail Park in Drogheda so the tailor made golf balls here's the first clue three clues coming up today on late lunch where am i i want to know where i'm talking about today clue number one i'm old golf's been played here since the 15th century i'm old and golf's been played here since the 15th century your first clue two more to come stay with us on late lunch coming up next on the show we're going to have a chat with a golfer ironically just after the golf competition Brendan Lawler is in and he is the Scottish Open golf champion he's from the Dark Golf Club he has the trophy competition for Halpenny Golf I gave you the first clue a, a couple of moments ago there I'll repeat it again I'm old 
Golf's been played here since the 15th century. Answers to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Two more clues to come. I'll give you one in a few minutes' time because, you see, we're on the theme of golf for the next while. Because I've just had my photograph taken with the most wonderful trophy and the young man who's won it is with me on late lunch. Did you know that Dundalk Golf Club's Brendan Lawler won the inaugural EDGA Scottish Open held alongside the European Tours Scottish Open over the weekend and he's here with the trophy today. Brendan, you're so welcome back to late lunch. Thanks very much, Jerry. Congratulations to you. Yeah. Scottish Open champion. How does that sound? To be honest, it hasn't sunk in yet. It was um, we were playing pretty early on um, on Sunday morning, so we were done around twelve o'clock after the round, and um, we were waiting all day for the presentation. Mm-hmm. And it still hasn't sunk in, but <laughs> it, it's it's starting to get there now. When you start coming home to meet people and they start to congratulate you, it's, it's ah, fun. it's wonderful, wonderful. And we've met you a couple of times before on late lunch, and I ain't one bit surprised you're making waves on the international stage now, and you will in the future. This was a first for the European Tour of Golf because I use the initials EDGA, and it's the mm. European Disabled Golf Association yeah. had the first big tournament running on the same course at yeah. the same time as the Scottish Open yeah it couldn't have been any more inclusive because we played off the same tees under the same conditions and and the same uh, pin positions so Saturday and Sunday pin positions are usually quite tough on the European Tour so they said they'd give us a, the proper test and the proper experience of a European Tour course and it was amazing now these guys they, they ripped it up the pros pros are carrying the ball 320 310 yards so uh, they only were probably flicking uh, pitching wedges or nine irons in, but I was I was only hitting at probably two fifty two sixty because we were going out in the morning. It was damp. It was quite wet. Um, it was a links course, but it, what the ball wasn't running because the fairways were very soft. So I was hitting probably I was hitting three and two irons into most holes that are playing four fifty four eighty yards. It was pretty crazy. I never really experienced this before. So um, my putting was really really solid over the two days and. Um, my short game was really, really good. So now on Saturday you go out and your first round. Where are you after the first round in the competition? Where are you sitting going into the second round? I was three shots back. There was two English guys, George Groves and Mike, uh, were on three over. I shot six over the first day, which it didn't really reflect my score. I thought I played really well the first day. And uh, I just didn't get the breaks. I was hitting lovely putts and they were looping the hole and... I just I thought I deserved probably three shots better on my score the first day, so I I could have been joint leader. But that's golf; it, it doesn't go your mm. way every time. But look, you're often in a better position to be just, you know, just lurking there, yeah. Brendan, yeah. which you were going into the final round. Now the final round itself, did you know you were in contention? Could you see the scoreboards going round? Yeah, like I, I was. Dad was there too, and I said to Dad, three shots is nothing. Mm. It's a long course. Um, pins will be tough." I said to myself, go out and shoot two or three over and you'll still be in the mix. So yeah, I woke up. I felt really good um, Sunday morning. We were out really early again. It was a quarter to eight on Sunday morning. And I said to myself, I need to put the foot down and and make a charge early. So um, I was out in the second group, so there was no pressure on me. I could go out and play my golf and not many were watching because it was quite early. So I said, get the foot down here early, make a statement and try and put pressure on the group in front. So... um, I birdied four and five, part of the first three, birdied four and five to go two under after six, after five. Then I birdied seven, so I was three under after seven. Um, I made bogey on nine, 
which I was two under after nine. There was a scoreboard at nine, and I knew I was one shot ahead. So I said, just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, don't think about the other people in front, because you can't affect what they do. You just have to keep playing your golf. So um, the back name was playing tough. It was it was very, very long. But um, again, I made, a, I made a silly bogey on 11. I hit it, I hit it left off the tee, made a poor bogey, and um, I just kept plugging away, plugging away. I made a really good birdie on 14, which was, it was massive. That was probably the winning birdie, because I was around, I was still one shot ahead at that time, so that, I got two shots ahead after the birdie. It was a short par four, it was probably the only short par four in the course. I hit driver 54 degree to about 15 feet, and I hold a putt. And there was a good few crowds around, so I give a fist pump. I was I was on a high. I was like, let's go. I was I was in the zone. When you get into that zone, I, I didn't really think about people watching. I was just so focused. It was probably the focus I've ever been in the golf course. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get the job done. So came to 15. I made a really good par in 15. It was a par 3 over the back. And then um, 16 made another par. 17 was a silly bogey. Made a bogey on 17. Uh, and there was also a scoreboard on 17. So I was like, I had a wee glance over, still one shot ahead. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, we're on the 18th hole now, the Scottish Open, and Thomas Peters was watching us. It was pretty, it was pretty crazy. So it came to 18, and um, must say, I was, the adrenaline was pumping. There was probably three or four, probably 300 people around the tee watching. I said, right, just smooth swing, try and hit the best shot of your life here. So um, it was there was bunkers on the right hand side of the fairway. They were two hundred and fifty yards to carry. Slight downwind. So uh, my caddy said, "Just hit a wee draw over them bunkers because I was hitting this smooth draw all day." So I said, "Right, no problem." So I absolutely I ripped this drive over the bunkers at a wee draw and it carried over them. I didn't think it would carry. I hit this drive about I'd say around three hundred yards. I I just I milled it. It was really really good. I was like, "Right, first step done." There's four steps and you've probably got the best win of your career so came to I, I had 165 yards in and again adrenaline was pumping I thought I'd get there with a 9 iron I was pretty crazy I don't know how because I only hit my 9 iron about 130 yards or 135 yards but I said right I'm actually going to bust this so I, I hit this 9 iron hit it really well but it came up way short and um, I had about 60 feet left just off the green about 2 foot from the fringe pin was well on so um, I said I I wasn't chipping well all day. I I had a I had a few duffs, silly duffs. It was quite wet links. So um, I said right, I'll I'll put it. So I put it up to about two feet. It was a it was a, probably it was a really really good putt. And I was like this this two footer feels like twenty foot. It was it was pretty crazy. <laughs> and the hole looks smaller, doesn't it? It was tiny. <laughs> it was it was absolutely tiny. So there was massive crowds watching. I was um. I was shaking like a leaf. I, I, I was really nervous over the putt. So um, I, I looked at it from both sides and took my time. Cause it, Did it was, you know this putt was to win? I knew this putt would have meant a lot if I hold it because the guy behind me had to birdie the last to get into a playoff. So I said, hold this putt and you have a really good chance of winning. So um, stepped up. As I said, it felt like 15, 20 feet. Um, putted it. And I near I be honest, I nearly missed it. Yeah. I was like, Oh my god, I'm gonna miss this. And it just it literally went around the hole and dropped in, dropped in. at the back. Well the sigh of relief. <laughs> I was like, Oh, thank God that went in. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So uh, the crowd, crowd went mad, few claps around, and then um, shook hands at my playing playing partner. He was from America. He was he was called Chris Biggins. Really, really nice guy. Um, yeah, came off the green and uh, looked over, and Paul Dunn was there. He um, he actually missed the cut on on Friday. Yes. So um, Paul Dunn came over and said, "Yeah, I said I'd come out and watch you. I'm heading home tomorrow." I said, "Jesus, you didn't have to do that. That was really, really nice of you." So to have Irish guys supporting you like that as well, it feels really nice. And did you know then at that stage you had you to wait for the other guy behind to come up and I finish? was waiting and uh, Paul Dunn said, just go sign your card, chill out. You see, you can't reflect what he does, just mm. get everything done right. And it was nice to have that there because it was my first experience of something that big and you couldn't get, if you signed the card wrong, it's a straight disqualification. Mm. So he said, stay composed, go in and sign your card, don't worry. He actually put it into the bunker, so you're looking good, he said. I said, that's fine, I'll, I'll go in and sign this card. So I signed it all, um, went behind, it's all official, so you're, there's marshals there taking you through the crowd to the scoring area, and um, got to the scoring area, signed everything, everything was done right. I came back out and the other group was in, shook my hand, well done, then I knew, knew the job You'd was done. You had won it. Yeah. <gasps> what a feeling. Yeah, it was the best feeling of my life. Ah, for sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Scottish Open champion, he's sitting here with me and he has the trophy with him as well from Dundalk Golf Club. What a great guy he is. This does elevate you to a new level, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's um, Ever since the check, or ever since a few weeks ago, it's gotten pretty big. There's people coming up to me saying would you be an ambassador for this sort of thing this sort of thing it's getting more recognition 
Mm. Um, inclusion in golf, inclusion everywhere in the world is massive. Disability is the buzzword at the minute. Yeah. And people want to be a part of it. So um, I have a few decisions to make, to be honest, with career-wise. And um, my dad's really good at helping me make the right decisions. So um, I have, a, have to have a few chats with him and, and see what path we, we're going to go down. So what's next? Where are you going next? There's another one of these uh, competitions coming up, isn't there, this year, that the uh, the main tour and yourselves work yeah. together? We're going to the APT World Tour Championship in Dubai. And you're in that? Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> Well, I hope so. You have to keep your, you have to maintain your world ranking to yes. to get into them. But I think, yeah, it's, you should it's a pretty good, pretty cert. What's next, though? Where, where are you headed in the, in the immediate future? That's later on in the year, isn't yeah, that one? Yeah, that's in November. So um, I'm I'm pretty free for a while, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I got a great invite to Galgorm playing a Challenge Tour event um, as an amateur. So there's these events popping up. There's people inviting me to here, there, and everywhere. So I actually need to start not going to things because I don't like to disappoint people and say mm. no I'm not going here I'm not mm. going there but it's actually gotten that big now I need to start thinking of I'm not being smart but myself and my body as well because I'm in bits today mm. uh, like it was pretty it was it was hard like it was two rounds I walked it I walk every day playing golf but you're, it was that high intensity you were you just I, I was seized up this morning I could mm. hardly walk this morning <laughs> but um yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. It is. So exciting. you'll talk to your dad, you'll make decisions on different things, where you see her going from here. But isn't it wonderful, Brendan, to have those options? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I never thought it would happen. I only I started disability golf now. It must it's about eighteen months to two years now and the road I'm going down is, is amazing. Mm. And just the, the people I've met, I was talking to Roy McElroy after the round, having a crack with him, like I would have never thought I'd be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. But you are. And yeah. I'm sure everyone in the Dundalk Golf Club and all your friends are so proud of you as yeah. well. And the Dundalk are really, really good to me. Yeah. They've helped me out. Ever since day one, I've started the events and the disability events. Um, they've really helped me out with, with funding, support. They're a really good golf club. And obviously, Dad has been there from day one. But now, um, people are starting to starting to recognise and, and I'm travelling for free now. Uh, it's it's all free. I'm not me. I'm not earning a wage out of this yet. I know, but uh, it's it's all free. I've, uh, I'm traveling the world for. Yeah, and, and, so and you really deserve good. that. You yeah. deserve that support. And we understand this is a love of yours that's really blossomed and developed now. Look, I just wanted to catch you today because you are busy and I thank you for coming in at short notice to yeah. us and bringing that beautiful trophy as well. And check it out, it's all over social media. Me and this famous <laughs> man, I got to touch this trophy here this afternoon in the studios of LMFM Radio. I wish you well. Yeah. Won't you keep in touch with us? Yeah, 100%. We'll, we'll certainly keep in touch with you. We have to go for a game sometime. I we promise you that. We have to get out for a game. No, we will. I promise you. I'm playing the island on Wednesday evening. Yeah. I, I should look forward to that, I'm told. I've never played it before. And I'm going up Friday to Port Rush. Yeah, I'm going up Saturday. Ah, you're a good man yourself. Week, so. Oh, we're all heading for the North West yeah. to see the Open Championship yeah. in Ireland. It's going to be great, isn't it's it? Really? Be. Who do you think will win it? I don't know. Um, Give us a tip, Brendan. Come on. You can't look far by Rory. All right. He's playing really well. On home ground as well. Home ground. Mm. It's a it's a long shot, but G Mac as well. He's yeah, playing good. The golf. two boys there. Yeah. So the two Irish lads. To be honest, anyone in the field can win. Yeah, that's I was so in good. A, um, I was coming home. I was going to the hotel last night, 
and I bumped into Friesberger. He was staying in the same hotel as me. Mm. So we had a we had a few beers together and just had the crack. So he's really looking forward to next year as well. And in case or, the listeners sorry, don't week. know, Wiesberger is the fellow who won, he won the, the Scottish Open, yeah. like our man here today, yeah. Brendan, and he's coming to Port Rush as well. Listen, I have a golf competition, Halpenny Golf. You know yeah, them. You yeah. worked for them in your time. Yeah. Second clue today, folks. Okay, I want to know where this is. You may not realise, though, I'm known for the old. You may not realise I'm known for the old but there's seven public golf courses here today. Where am I talking about? 086 1800 I haven't a clue. Don't say anything, you. I thought you were going to blurt it out there. No, 086 1800 Get in touch with us there and send in your answers. There's another clue to come on late lunch. But for the moment, congratulations, Scottish Open champion, Brendan Lawler. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Halpenny Golf Competition third clue for you dozen tailor made TP5 golf balls to be won today they're nice I promise you the third clue is I'm home to the royal and ancient and regarded as the home of golf if you ain't got it now I don't know what to say I've given it away there answers to 086 1800 658 where am I talking about the name of the place uh, with your name and details and we'll pick a winner before the end of the show well, 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 in studio now, there's a lot of bottles on the table, there's glasses, there's shakers. You know why? We have a national cocktail champion with us. Yes, his name is Aaron Mulligan, and he operates out of Russell Saloon on Park Street in Dundalk. And the proprietor is here with us as well on the show, Greg Gormley. Gentlemen, you're both welcome to Late Lunch. Good Thank to you very see much. You. Thanks for joining me. And we're on Facebook Live. You can join us on Facebook Live because you're going to be in for a treat in a minute when Aaron Mulligan struts his stuff here live in studio. Aaron, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Shaken, not stirred. From football to cocktails, you could play ball in your time, couldn't you? Yeah, it's a it's a long it's a it's a long story. But we I, I did start off as a professional football player with uh, Sheffield Wednesday. And they're in the news at the minute. Bruce has left them. They've no manager, and he's going to Newcastle. It looks like. Where did you start your football? Who did you start with? School? Uh, I was. Uh, I played for Rock Celtic. All right, great uh, club. And then um, moved on then to Dundalk Schoolboys uh, team, where I played in the Foil Cup in the north of Ireland, and that's where I got my trials for Sheffield Wednesday. You were scouted there, were you? They yeah. saw you. Yeah. Where did you play? What was your position? Uh, I actually played centre back. Oh, right. um, I'm mm. For I'm quite small for a centre back, but I've got. A, quite a big leap on me. Mm. So. so Sheffield Wednesday signed you up at what age? Uh, I was 15 at the time uh, and moved over when I was 16. That's a very young age it to is. leave home, isn't it? It is. It's a very long, young age. It's. I think it's part of the most struggle that you go through when it comes to um, becoming a football player at that age uh, is leaving your family and setting up a new life on your own. At 16? Yeah. Were you put into digs with a landlady? I was. I was put into digs with a, a family who had two children. Um, it didn't, the, where we were living wasn't too far away from the training ground, so I was able to walk there every day and things like that. So it was pretty handy. Did you miss home? Uh, no, not really, because it's, it's not that far away, mm. uh, England, so it was quite easy to jump on a plane mm. and come back anytime you felt a little bit. So you played on underage for Sheffield Wednesday? Yeah, so I played in, uh, I had a two-year academy and one-year pro. Mm. Uh, so I played with the academy level. Um, we did very well in our first season, came mid-table then in the second season, and then I became I got my professional contract then on the third year which um, I didn't get much playing time but I played a lot with the reserves mm. 
and then after that uh, we switched managers once again halfway through my professional season and uh, the new manager had different plans yeah. so it was time for me and to that to happens on. all the time in this game I think yeah. people don't realise it you know managers change players are in focus then you're suddenly out of focus as well Sheffield are a big club they have a huge ground haven't they there at Hillsborough yeah and mm. a massive history as well mm. um, they've won uh, a lot of the big titles that are, that are around mm. so it was it was um, it was my pleasure to go mm. to, to play with you the made it you history. made it as a pro in England you signed for a big club you, you came home then did you after that yeah or, I came yeah. home then I, I tried to keep with the football um, but it just kept on uh, I kept on dropping lower as in standard wise yes uh, and realised then I had to make my way to college is that a thing about it you know when you sign pro in England and you're there with a huge club and then you have to step back that we hear of so many young lads coming back to Ireland with their dreams shattered is that the way you felt um, it was at the time I think it's a lot different now when it comes to football players. I think the players themselves are actually um, well looked after when they come back and they're, they've got different things sorted out for mm. them and things like that. It was a little bit different than when mm. I was doing it. Don't we need a better league here to keep young fellas like you here yeah, professionally? I, th- I think it's on the way. Yeah, please God it the is. Way. There's a lot of changes coming there. Anyway, from footy to cocktails, please explain. Yeah, so um, when when I stopped playing football professional, I had to find myself a job while I was in college uh, and I ended up working in a nightclub. And I ended up floor staff, picking up glasses, cleaning floors, things like that, and um, just fell in love with the with the guys that were making the cocktail with, that were making cocktails in behind the bar, and about the attention to detail that they brought to it, and the art form that they mm. they were showing. I, I got really interested in it and kind of pursued that. Then you went abroad to pursue it. Yes. Yeah, I did. Um, the biggest influence that that helped me out in my career was uh, when I went to Australia. I was working uh, in a bar that had one of the best bartenders in the world working in it and uh, I was lucky enough that he uh, took me under his wing for two years and taught me everything that he knows and uh, showed me how to be passionate about what you do for a life, uh, what you do for a living. So many years did you spend in Australia? Uh, I was there for two years. Okay, what um, part? Uh, Perth. Loved it? Yes, I loved every bit of it, yeah. mm, God it almighty, Australia is very appealing to a young guy like yeah. you and a life like that. Yeah, and the bar scene over there is um, is, is very good. Uh, they've got their light years ahead of a lot of the European countries, in my opinion, mm. and things like that. So it was a great place for me to go and try and pursue myself and make myself a better uh better cocktail yes okay so your time is up then you come home was that always your aim to come back it was always my aim to come back because um, when when I started realising how much I was learning and stuff like that I I, one of the things that kept coming into my head was coming home and showing everyone Mm. um, from in in Dundalk uh, showing everyone what I've learned and how things can be served and the experiences that you can give people on a night out instead of just a pint uh, of harp a pint of (laughs) <laughs> we also we have the best heart, but oh, we, yes. we we give them everything else as well. Why not? Indeed, yeah. it's a great story. I have to say, you're going to mix something up or do something I for am. work your magic. I'm going to make a cocktail called a Negroni. Uh, it's an Italian aperitif. Um, it, this cocktail actually means a lot to me. It's my favorite cocktail, but um, my maestro. Uh, 
the fellow who taught me everything about cocktails, we'd sit down at the end of the night for a critique and we'd have a Negroni. Okay. To, to set, to so this is the, the creme de la creme this you're is telling the creme me. De la creme, so. Well, will you get to work there and while you're working away, and I hope you're with us on Facebook Live. I hope you're watching this because Elena Mullins is here with us and you're going to see this man in action now. She's going to keep an eye on him. And while, while he's making a way there, I'm going to have a chat with Greg Gormley, who's the man who owns Russell's Saloon. Greg, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Russell's has a long history. It's a massive history, yeah. It starts back in 1907. William Russell bought the place and he owned a lot of property in Park Street. He was a master blender and he worked out in the big sheds out the back. And one of the sheds is where Shaky Bills is now. And Shaky Bills is kind of set. I, I kept the, the, the style of the way it used to be, the old walls there and the old concrete, polished concrete floor and that. So um, the Shaky Bills, the name derives from William Russell been a cocktail bar uh, with Shaky and, and Bill <laughs> I, see, I see the connection so, I see the connection so, so yeah. we kept the whole connection going <laughs> fantastic yeah. now in case you're wondering what's happening in the ba- background the studio's not been knocked down here as I'm having a, ch- a chat with Greg but the man himself Aaron Mulligan is putting together all the ingredients when you're ready are you nearly ready to do your stuff now that I'm you nearly ready nearly ready more, well Greg we're going to talk to you more in a minute but I just want to see uh, what's happening here he's putting in all the different ingredients into the shaker there and we're going to get a performance are we now we're going to see a performance Greg oh, definitely yeah yeah <laughs> and that's the ice that is the ice do you hear all the ice that's there oh it's cooling us down lovely <laughs> in the studio what's this Negroni is that the name of it yeah so it's a, it's a as, I, as I was saying it's a, an Italian aperitif great to have after a meal it's very refreshing come into that microphone there that they can hear go on yeah um, go on it's a very earthy dry cocktail but very smooth uh, on the finish uh, the technique that we're going to use today in creating this cocktail is called uh, throwing so it's when you get one uh, you, when you get the full cocktail in one shaker and you transfer it through the air to the other one <laughs> so you're going to start throwing cocktails around late lunch studio do we need crash helmets or do we need to report anything to health and safety before you begin no no I'm pretty I'm pretty <laughs> okay okay this. away so. you go here he is watch this Oh, I hope you're watching this on Facebook Live. I really do hope you're seeing this. You are a magician. Look at this. Look at this as he pours from one to the other without spilling a drop on the floor. What don't spill a drop of it because I don't want to miss out on a drop of it myself. So what you're doing is here, you're just aerating the cocktail. Um, it, it, when, you, when you're making a cocktail that just has alcohol ingredients... Um, the best way to do it is to not bruise the alcohol. You don't want to have, you don't want to shake the cocktail because uh, you'll get this cloudiness. Um, yeah. That you and it ups, uh, it uh, stops from some of the uh, more deeper flavors. Okay. Okay. Then. So there's a real science in this. Oh, there's a crazy. It, it's a. It's a very scientific, um, <laughs> especially when you're um, when it's your passion. Yeah, as well. and is that it mixed up now? That's it mixed up now. So it's a, it's one of this one of the simplest cocktails to create. It's um, three parts of in- equal measures of Campari, sweet vermouth, and uh, a dry gin. Okay, and that's what's in this. And you're there just peeling an orange as we speak. What yeah, are you so doing with what that? What we're doing is we're just taking um, the rind of the orange peel and we're just spritzing it over the top and just bringing them flavors down. And then and it well, gives it a freshness. Let me have a taste of this. I'll tell you one thing. Late lunch is about to go off the rails. 
<laughs> Let me taste this. Well, I can tell you one thing for a start. The aroma of it is just sensational. Let me taste. So every cocktail should have uh, some components. Um, it should feel feel amazing. It should taste amazing and it should smell amazing. Um, and it's all it's all them factors that give you a good experience when you come to our bar. Amazing, <coughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. Can I just keep saying that? Because... It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's exactly it for today. It really is. It's really warm outside. And that's the perfect <laughs> thing. Yeah. I'll have to wait till half three. Will it stay okay till near half three before I can well, really guzzle it? And then we're open at six as well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're a good salesman as well as a cocktail checker. Your boss is delighted. You've just earned yourself a mighty bonus, boy. Let me hear you. Let me tell you today. Stay with us on late lunch because we have someone special with us. Yes, he is a national champion. He's brilliant. Aaron Mulligan is with us and from Russell Saloon we're going to have uh, more chat with uh, Greg Gormley after the break I never thought I'd say it but I am shaken and stirred on late lunch this afternoon yes we are talking cocktails with a master Aaron Mulligan is with us and he operates out of Russell Saloon on Park Street in Dundalk and the proprietor is with us as well Greg Gormley you were telling us Greg just come back to you for a moment the, hi- the place has such a history there how long have you had it? Um, I bought it in 2014, September 2014, and it was in Bad Nick. There was no, the, the roof was in very bad condition, and it was. Leaking I remember the building; it wasn't good. It w- wasn't good, and um, my dad got me to have a wee look round it with um, the auctioneers at the time, and I wasn't. I wasn't really actually going to buy it. I thought, but then when I went and I stood on the roof and I looked out the back and I seen all these big sheds and I looked back on the building itself three-story building going with the price it was going with I couldn't not do it I came off that roof buying the place and you just felt that it was meant for you it it was meant for me yeah so I thank my dad for that (laughs) well done to him had you a vision for what you've created today or did that come then with time Uh, more or less straight away Mm. yeah I knew what I was going to do straight away yeah Mm. big beer garden do the bar up extend it and uh, I knew I turn one of the sheds out the back into a bar eventually but it all comes with time and money and what have you you know so so tell me the connection with you two fellas how did that happen well i think i asked i asked i started working for greg five five years ago now four years no ago? four but four got to four years ago and um when i started working um we were doing cocktails in behind the bar and everything was a lot of fun and then uh, i decided i wanted to learn more and Greg was more than happy to help me find that out. Uh, so I went to Australia, done my um, training and things like that, and came back then. So the first first person I came to see the day I got home was Greg. And we met in the beer garden, and it was a bit of a surprise for Greg as well. And I didn't know where you were coming home at all. <laughs> no better way then to surprise someone and say, I'm here, I'm ready to rock and roll, are you ready for me? And that's pretty much how it went. And Greg <laughs> said, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were home that day, home that day, and I think we, we were power hosing the walls the next day. Yeah, getting you, it ready home on, on the Saturday. You surprised me on the Saturday, and then you said, "Have you any jobs?" And I goes, "No, but I'll create one for you." And he looks at me, and I goes, uh, "We'll put a bar in the shed." Yeah, and I said, "Come in Monday morning. We take out all the kegs and take everything out, and we power hose the walls and the floor, and we put in a bar." So within two weeks, Billy Arrowsmith was the constructor and. We had a bar 
up and running within two weeks. And away you go from there. Yeah, and the rest is history. Yeah, the rest is history. You've had great success at the national championships. Yeah, the national championships have been very good to me. There, it was one of the first ever competitions that I did was the national competition, uh, national cocktail championships, and that wasn't too long after I went home. Uh, Greg's always been a firm believer in pushing me to do as much things as many as th- many things I can to get as much experience as I can and this was definitely one of them uh, the first year that I entered we won the best social media award for it uh, so we got a lot of great feedback and that's kind of the way the bar's been going lately as well so since we've opened the bar the feedback and the response from everyone is just amazing we couldn't ask for any more mm. and you've had more success at the national championship subsequently but tell me this with all the range of drinks and mixes and things that you have is it endless what you can create it's absolutely yeah uh, yeah it is you can nowadays you can nearly extract flavors from absolutely anything mm. and uh, that's the fun part about it that that's the bit that gets your head kind of rolling and thinking and creating and that's 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 my favorite part of the job um so like a lot of the what i like to do and what we like to do in our bar is um we like to take it to different limits so we infuse a lot of our alcohol with different things to try and get the flavors that we want and uh, and then we blend them together to make a to try and make one of the it's terrific better yeah, cocktails. terrific you, negroni is is that your favorite that's negroni my favorite cocktail, yeah Tell me about one or two more. What else do you like? So in our in our bar in our bar, all of our cocktails are created. Um, there's none. There's nothing like them from here to Dublin or here to Belfast. One of the cocktails that I have in particular is called Our Founding Father, which pays tribute to Bill Russell himself. Um, it's a lot of um, tropical flavors and things like that in it. So you've got vodka, uh, ginger syrup. Uh, green chartreuse, matcha green tea, le- fresh lemon and uh, a kaffir lime foam that we put on top of it and uh, to garnish that off we've done uh, edible paper with Bill Russell's uh, portrait on it <laughs> You are innovative people, you really are Yeah well we try our best <laughs> <laughs> You do, you try more than your best Anyway look it's great to meet you this afternoon on Late Lunch, thanks for coming in and mixing that for us and giving us such a wonderful demonstration there. and I want to tell people I'm not giving anything away here. Well, I am. Greg spilt the coffee on the way in. (laughs) (laughs) And you never spilt a drop going through. I'm sorry, Greg. I had to say that. Do you know what I mean? I had to say it. He's a bit rusty at the moment. (laughs) Anyway, the guys will be delighted to see you. Russell's Park Street. Check them out. The master will be there to welcome you. And uh, look, congratulations to you. you Best wishes to you all. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today. Thanks for being Jerry, can you say hello to Caroline from Ashbourne? Hello, Caroline from Ashbourne. We met her in Bally Buffet at the Mead match and she kindly shared her picnic with us and six starving Mead kids. <laughs> That's Leah, Scott, Keelan, Rachel and Ulick and Matthew and Oren, the whole lot of them there. Thank you for feeding them, Caroline. You're so kind that they wanted me to give you a mention on late lunch this afternoon. It's year eight of the Kilmoon Barn Dance and there is some line-up in place for this coming weekend and I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch a great guy, Michael Fox. It's good to see you again. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you for joining you. me. Eight years, It's has it gone by in a, the blink uh, of an eye? Absolutely, Jerry. We started the first one in 2011 following the death of my sister, Monica. And we ran the first one in 2011 and there was... Uh, about 1,100 people at it. Well, we were only doing it once as a fundraiser for cancer. And uh, we decided not to run any more. We just ran the one. And uh, Agnes's 
uh, my wife Agnes and her brother were the band at that one, which is Agnes here, was the band at that, the McNally band at the first one, and it was a great success. A lot of people asked me, would we not run another one? So we decided to run one in 13. And ever since, it has just got bigger and bigger and bigger each year. So we just couldn't stop. I look at you <laughs> as the Glastonbury of the Northeast. I wouldn't go that far, Jerry. Oh, no, come on. Listen, <laughs> give yourself a bit of credit here. No. I think of it, and you're year after year, and you're getting bigger and stronger each time. But tell them, how much money do you reckon you've raised so far over the we years? We have uh, raised 463000 and we're hoping to break the half million barrier this year. Well, That's I have it. to but say, it's not, it's not down to us, Jerry. It's I down know to, it's down to the support we get from. I know from all that, the but you, come, know, you know, there has to be someone who gets this going and puts the show on the road and does all the stuff, and that's you people as well. It's some achievement to be just short of half a million at the moment and you're going to obviously go by that this time round. Who do you support in essence? Who are the beneficiaries? Well, Nacrete is the main one, the cancer research. Uh, uh, place and draw it. Know the, them the well, yeah, great people. Nick, Nick, doing a great job. And my late sister died from esophageal cancer. So esophageal cancer gets uh, 30% of the door takings. Nucreek gets two thirds of the, the door takings. And then we run a list of charities and the committee vote in the top five. And then they get the divide of the bar, profit bar from the bar. Okay, and who is that this year? I'll who who, 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 who have I'll, been selected in yeah, that? I'll tell you, there's about 12 charities involved yeah. in the vote up and the five that got through was So Sad, yeah. which is based on Brian Kelly and Slane, who does a, they do a fantastic Wonderful job. Wonderful job. Mead, River, Mead, yeah. River Rescue, Mead River Rescue, which is, also does a good job. You have Mead Hospice, you have Brother Kevin of the Capuchin Centre in Dublin. Great man. And you have the Laffey Trust. And then you have Prosper Mead, which looks after the people with needs, special needs in Navan. They are all very good uh, charities. Very good charities. Very, and all worthy. Charities. And I, I know you'd probably love to give to the whole lot of them, but they are the selected five this year, and that's what you The Laffeys are the Laffey Sisters, yes. The two Laffey Sisters. <gasps> yes. Now, God, they're not them. one of the five charities. Yeah. What happens is they didn't make the vote even though everyone wants to support them. So we yeah. we supplied them with 800 hats and they sell them on the night at five or six euros each. And uh, they get as much money from selling all the hats. Indeed, so that's they do. What a lovely and, thought and gesture. Yeah, and our NLI then does, uh, they are involved as well. They do welly throwing at it and they have a few other uh, amusements going on and they raise funds ahead as well. And uh, maybe the Bronco Bull. We're not doing the Bronco Bull this year, but we're giving them the price of the Bronco Bull. So they'll be involved in the fundraising. Great, great. So, so you're helping so many near and far, and the benefit of this will be felt in the months, in the weeks, months, and, and years to come. But this, let's get back to the night itself, because as you said, it's the people who come, who pay 25, is it in? To, uh, 25 euro. 25 euro, you're 25 euro, and it's all going to charity. It's the people who flock there every year. What, two and a half thousand people, roughly? What's the attraction? What do you put it down to? A uh, couple of things, Jerry. For it's a seven hours of continuous music, non-stop. We won't even stop to have a raffle or to thank people. <laughs> it's non-stop from eight o'clock to three o'clock in the morning. Uh, it's a good lineup of bands. Oh yeah. Then uh, the restaurant is run by Peter, Peter Grimes Rumbles. Yes. And they provide free food all night, and Peter does a very good deal with us, and we give out free food 
burgers and chicken. Uh, so it's the chicken anyway on the night. On the night, which is yeah. uh, which is nice. Well, it's so, nice to have that when you're having the little. That's right. And you know we yourself. Have, we have a large amount of barmen in there to make sure there's no queues and there's no waiting, and we run it efficiently. So when we started out first, I had three. Uh, criteria in mind first was health and safety mm. so health uh, so health and safety is number one important so we have about 40 licensed security on the night and then 20 more stewards supporting them then number two is to provide a good night's entertainment and good value to the people and i think we've delivered that over the years and number three then is to raise money for the charities of course and number three comes when you get the other first and second right that's it so i think that's what it's very popular this year again mm. it's actually more popular even than last year and last year was sold out on on tours of stroke friday so i expect her to be sold out soon as well so that's why you're here today just to tell people if you've been there before you're welcome back if you've never been come and try it for the first time ever you won't be disappointed you'll be back next time round. and if you haven't been there for a year or two come back and reacquaint yourself with an absolutely wonderful night. All folks up are uh, one of the acts that you have, and these are really in demand, aren't they? In Very the popular. UK and Ireland. Very, Very popular. popular. When I when I booked them last April, I asked them where could I go to hear them play, and I discovered they were playing in Denmark, in America and the UK, and that they weren't back in Ireland until this week, or this week or last week. And so. you have them. Uh, well, we have them now, you know what I mean? That we is got great. them for the night, and, and they're very popular, I believe, with the young Then, people. Trevor Smith and Friends in Low Places, the ultimate Garth Brook experience. You'll never get them off the floor, you know Very, this. very good. Brilliant. And very good. Like, even last year, the crowd flocked in early to hear him. Yeah. So he's the main, the main actor. He's the main actor. Yeah. And then DJ Mark Fallon, he's wonderful. I'm going to yes. take you into the early hours for that seven-hour non-stop in Cushionstown, yes, the Kilmoon Barn Dance. How do they get tickets? What's the easiest way to get tickets for this? Well, the tickets are on sale in 18 different local outlets. Okay. And I suppose if you go in on the Barn, uh, Barn Dance Facebook page... Yes. ...or inquire any of the local places, we won't go through all 18. No, no, no listen, they, they, they'd be all switched off. They'd go to listen to somebody I else. I think we at don't this want stage, that. everybody knows where to get the tickets. Get the tickets. Because yeah. we're almost sold out. Okay, we're so almost, it is almost sold out. Yeah. So coming up, anyone for the last few tickets for the Kilmoon Bar Dance? Are you out there? We need you to get cracking ASAP. You go back year on year, and as you said, it was an initial thought in memory of your sister as well, and you did it, and you broke it, and then you came back, and you've been at it every year since. But it must do a lot for you and your family as well. It does indeed. As I said earlier, the McNally Band, who played at our first barn dance, then the lead singer in that band... Joe McNally, he got sick with cancer as well and he passed on the following year. Mm. So I suppose we both families have been affected with cancer, as a lot of other families are, yeah. so it's good to raise the funds and we know that these charities are putting it to real good use. Mm. And it is great pleasure to be able to organise it and get it right. Yeah. And hopefully we'll have it right on Saturday night. Of course you're going to have it you right. Know? Right yeah. and rain, right as rain and better than ever and raring to go they are out there. It's a real credit to you. I want oh. to say this today. No, thank you very you, much, Terry. No, 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 really, people like you, Michael, and your wife and your family and everybody, you well, it's people... it's a family. It's yes. A, there's a family, the Cairns and the Fox. I know that. Extended the two, families on the committee. Two so families. It's not, just, it's not just me. Yeah, I know that. But okay. look, you, all of you, let me say it to all of you today, what you do means so much 
much to so many who you'll never know about, but that you actually help indirectly. And it's a great credit to you that you do this and you come back year after year and deliver such a brilliant show for well, people. Thank you very much. But no. we have the support. We have a. I know that. We, we have the support. I know that. Family and, and people around us that can support, including employees and all that. It yes. takes a big team to put it, it together. It does you know? indeed. It, it does indeed. Team, yeah. Anyway, there's a hoedown in Kilmoon, can I say? Kilmoon Barn Dance this Saturday. You've got to get there in Cushionstown Athletic Club and the tickets are almost gone. So be warned, get them, get hold of them quickly and go and have a great night. Michael, thank you for joining thank me you again. Much, Wish Jerry. you all thank the you. very best and congratulations again on year eight. We'll see you next year. You <laughs> no much, pressure. <laughs> anyway, that's our lot on Late Lunch for this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and we leave you in the company of madness. And you know what these people bring to so many? They bring them love. It must be love. See you tomorrow. Half as much as I do. Every night, every day I know that it's you I need To take the blues away It must be love, love, love It must be love, love, love Nothing more, nothing less The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors' summer sales event. Get low as can be, APR, zero deposit and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan.